Well, good morning. I'm Daniel, and no, I don't preach here often, so to all you new people, I'm sorry. Um, I also want to apologize because I'm preaching on 2 Samuel 17, which is very boring. So to you new people, I'm sorry again. Uh, My wife, Emily, actually pointed out last night that's probably why Anthony gave it to me because it was so boring he didn't want to talk about it. But I'm going to talk about it. So last week, we were in uh, 2 Samuel 15, and we kind of skipped 16, and we're in 17 now. And what kind of takes place is this story of David's family. So I was trying to explain it last night to Emily, and eventually she was just so confused that I didn't really know what was going on. So I made a diagram to explain it a little bit better, because it's kind of chaotic. So David sinned with Bathsheba, and we we learned about that a few weeks ago. Um, And then God, as a result, said there was going to be sin and evil brought upon David's family, and he would feel its effects um, for years to come. And so basically, we've seen that the past couple weeks, and in this chapter, it only gets worse. So what happens first is these are all David's kids right here. Ignore the spies. It's really interesting. We'll get to that later. But we're dealing with his kids right now. His daughter Tamar is beautiful, and Amnon lusts after her. So this is the first kind of effective sin we start to see in David's family. Learned about that a few weeks ago, um, and he breaks her through that. That makes Amnon's brother Absalom really mad. So he goes and he kills Amnon. So then within this family, then David kicks Absalom out of the kingdom, and now Absalom's trying to kill David. And so this is David's messed up family, all as a result of uh, his sin that he did with Bathsheba, and it's kind of spiraling downward, getting worse and worse, to where we're at right now, where Absalom is trying to kill David. So you kind of find this kind of like hills and valleys continuum in the book of 2 Samuel, where you have this period with Saul, this period of sin and law that you see, which is then brought to a period of grace when David comes to power. And then it goes downhill again with David's sin with Bathsheba, and now we're in that downward spiral valley. Soon enough, it's going to come back to grace, but I won't get there today, so (laughs) maybe eventually. So uh, Anyways, so I'm going to read uh, chapter 17, um, just verses 1 through 14, and I'm going to read it for you, but it's up on the screen. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic, and all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king. And I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man, and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. I'll keep going, but I feel like I need to explain that too. So Absalom is trying to hunt down David. What happened in 16, I forgot to explain, is uh, Absalom started kind of tricking people into the fact that he was the king, did this whole bit where he would stand outside the palace and lie to everybody and kind of uh, try and help them to manipulate them into being king. Then he did this bit where he goes on the roof of the palace and sleeps with all David's concubines and all of this mess. That happens in 16. 
Um, and now he's trying to hunt David down and kill him. So, wait, these aren't both spies. <laughs> these are advice givers. <laughs> Absalom goes to Ahithophel, um, who is one of David's servants, who's turned on him and says, hey, how do I hunt down David and kill him? And that's what we just read. Um, he gives this really good advice. Go and pursue David. He's tired right now, fleeing from you. Um, and just capture David and nobody else has to die. That's really good advice. But then this guy, Hushai, who is also, he was loyal to David, comes in as a spy. And he tries to thwart Absalom's plans and says, no, that's a horrible idea what Ahithophel said. Actually do this. And it's this plan that involves a lot of killing and just this massacre and is a terrible idea, but Absalom eventually falls for it. So that first part I read was the good plan. Um, then Hushai is going to come in and you can hear his horrible plan. Said, then Absalom said, call Hushai the archai also and let us hear what he has to say. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom said to him, thus has Ahithophel spoken. Shall we do as he says? If not, you speak. Then Hushai said to Absalom, this time the counsel that Ahithophel had given is not good. Hushai said, You know your father and his men are mighty men, and that they are enraged, like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. Besides, your father is an expert in war. He will not spend the night with the people. Behold, even now he has hidden himself in one of the pits or in some other place. And as soon as some of the people fall at the first attack, whoever hears it will say, There has been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. Then even the valiant man, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will utterly melt with fear. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man, and that those who are with him are valiant men. But instead, my counsel is that all Israel be gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba, as the sand by the sea for multitude, and that you go to battle in person. So we shall come upon him in some place where he's to be found, and we shall light upon him as the dew falls to the ground. And of him and all the men with him, not one will be left. If he withdraws into a city, then all Israel will bring ropes to that city, and we shall drag him into the valley until not even a pebble is to be found there. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the Archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel, so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. So, to sum it up, Ahithophel's advice was basically, David's tired right now. We'll go in, just take David. You don't got to kill anybody else. Um, and then you'll be king. Kill David. That's it. All his people will submit to you. Hushai comes in and says, that's a terrible idea. What you got to do is let him, you know, give him some time. Let him go kind of rest up. And you gather everybody and then do this massive slaughter. And then we'll kill all the people in the town. And then you go into battle too. And you fight them and risk your life. All of that so that you can be king. Uh, but here in verse 14, it says that they all decided the counsel of Hushai, the archite, is better than the counsel of Ahithophel, for the Lord had ordained it that way. So they end up taking his advice, and eventually the rest of the story goes. Hushai then goes and tells David uh, that Absalom's going to take his advice, and David begins to run, and then people give him some shelter, food, and rest. He's able to rest up. Word gets back to Absalom. David's found out the plan. Um, and that's where, kind of where it ends, with David at a period of rest and Absalom really bitter and angry that his plan is starting to slowly fall apart. So that's the story. 
so it kind of centers around Absalom's growing insanity. This whole just chapter is all about Absalom slowly getting more and more insane. He realizes that the throne isn't going to be his, um, so he's deciding to take matters into his own hands. He begins kind of kindling his bitterness, jealousy, anger, and rage, so much so he's starting to go insane. He kills his brother, then he flees from his dad's palace, then he's coming back trying to manipulate people, does this bit with the concubines, and then now is trying to kill David, and then picks this terrible advice. His bitterness is kind of overtaking his being to the point that he really isn't thinking straight. What you find is there's actually a really close connection to your emotional well-being and your physical well-being. Um, there are, the glands in our bodies all have these little chemical reactions for like when we smile, when we laugh, when we're happy, it produces good chemicals and good hormones. And like laughing while you're eating actually produces good digestion. But on the inverse, being bitter and angry and jealous all the time, that starts to bring harmful chemicals upon your body, messing up its natural processes. So you'd wonder why this guy would pick such terrible advice. It's because he's slowly going insane throughout this. So we have this picture of this man who is all consumed in his bitterness, so much so that he's just driven to the point of kind of insanity and is not really thinking straight. But why is that? Why does Absalom have it so bad right now? The problem is that Absalom isn't looking to follow the will of the Lord as God had ordained when God put David in charge, but instead he's succumbed to his own kind of empire building and self-rising power. He's looking at life in pursuit of himself, and naturally, when that doesn't seem to be going well, he gets a little bit bitter. He's looking for the throne, and when he finds out he's not going to get it, it starts to kind of devastate his life. Ahithophel, in his advice, says, if you can just strike the king, then you will be king, and all will be well, and all will be at peace. And Absalom's come to believe that. He believes, if I can just strike the king, then all is going to be well, I'll be king, and I can bring peace, and it will be amazing. But that word just is such a ridiculous word. When we say just, we don't really mean this is all I want. The word just means that there's some sort of imbalance in your life where something isn't right. And if you can just have this or that, then it's somehow going to make it better and it will bring peace upon you. And when we say, I want this or I want that, and if I could just have this, it will be better, we're trying to make peace in our own eyes. And we could keep going down that cliff on and on and on until it drives us to insanity. The problem is that thinking about ourselves so much drives us to insanity. It's actually not good for your health to think about yourself so much. When you're always trying to plan your life and store up treasures for yourself, when something doesn't work out, it's inevitably going to drive you insane. In this instance, Absalom didn't get what he wanted, even through his amazing attempts his, and his carefully crafted plans. He did everything he could, but the problem is verse 14. It says, For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel, so the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. For the Lord had ordained. God's will seemingly got in the way 
of Absalom's plan. God planned for David to come out on top, and it didn't matter really what Absalom did. No matter his well-thought-out plans, the way he, all the weird things he did leading up to this chapter, God had a plan larger than Absalom. And the victory is not going to be given to the person who's strong or has got the well-thought-out plans or quick, but it's given to the one who's chosen by God. God had ordained David to be king, and he put him in that role so he fulfilled the purposes of God. And Absalom will not thwart that plan. So there's two kind of things we find in this chapter about the will of God. We learn that God is just. We also learn that he's full of grace. God made a covenant with David, um, but also David sinned against it. And there's effects for that sin. And we've watched it fall upon his family. And we're feeling the effects in this chapter. But he's also a God full of grace and is willing to keep his covenant with David. Like, needless to say, the family of David is falling apart. But regardless of the fact that David repented, the effects of sin are still felt. But the good news is that God remains gracious in the end. Not because man deserves it, not because David deserved it or demonstrated his sincere love for God over and over, but in spite of that, God promised to David he would provide for him, not because he deserved it, because God had a plan that was going on well before David. The covenant that God made between David stands even when broken time and time again by David. What you notice throughout this story is that no matter the bitterness and attempts to fight God's will, it's going to prevail 100% of the time. Absalom fought that will, trying to pursue the throne of God. However, he failed when pressed against the providence and will of the Lord. After we read verse 14, it says, The Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel. We all know how it's going to turn out. It isn't a question anymore. Absalom's going to lose, and that's what eventually happens when the battle scene comes down. Absalom loses. It's very clear that God's will is going to come out on top, despite all of Absalom's scheming. We don't measure up. Our plans don't measure up to the plans of the living God. But we still try to fight it day in and day out. Uh, when my brother and I were younger, when we would go to the ocean, we used to play this game where we would stand in the face of waves and they would start to come and then we'd start to karate chop them and try and kick them. We are trying to fight the waves and essentially beat them. So we'd, start, we'd see a wave coming We'd start yelling, and we'd start karate chopping and kicking, um, and then screaming, and then the wave would just kind of roll past us. And then we'd turn around, there'd be another one, and we'd get back in our stance, and we'd fight it over and over again. But it didn't matter how hard we fought. The waves just kept rolling past us. They are going to do it regardless of us karate chopping, uh, kicking, screaming. It didn't matter. They were going to prevail. There's no stopping the waves. No matter our attempts, it is in vain. But thank goodness. Thank goodness we can't stop the waves. Thank goodness our wills don't prevail against the Lord no matter how hard we fight. Because that would be a disaster. God is working out his plan regardless our attempts. And thank goodness. 
His plans are far greater than whatever we could muster up for ourselves. But when you read this story, you have to ask, why does God will that David would prevail over Absalom? That's kind of the main question this story is holding. That verse right there, God had ordained it. That totally throws you for a loop. The reason is because God is moving his story forward and David is just a piece in that. David's life is only saved so that eventually God's plan will come to fruition in Jesus so that his can be taken. David had to be preserved so that the kingdom of God would come to fruition in the reign of Christ. David, of course, sinned and he paid for that. But we see time and time again that the covenant between God and man stands even when it's broken over and over again by man. The grace of God is far weightier than the sins of man. He always keeps his end of the bargain. But what we really see is that this story is not about Absalom. It's also really not about David. This story is really all about Jesus. Each of these stories in the Old Testament fit together as puzzle pieces leading to the overall story of God that finishes with Jesus. Absalom seeking after a throne he didn't deserve, but Jesus gave up a throne he did deserve because he loved us that much. Jesus submitted to the Lord's will, but Absalom was looking for peace in his own eyes. Think of all that bitterness, anger, jealousy, rage that Absalom had in his heart. Someone had to be punished for that. And yes, David did feel some effects of those sins. But Jesus ultimately took on that punishment and paid for it in the end. We are all heirs of that kingdom, and he took on our sins too. And he's ready to take people like Absalom and you and me in his kingdom. See, Jesus is on the throne. He's on the throne and he reigns over your difficult circumstances, your ongoing conflict, your carefully crafted plans. And the good news is he can actually be trusted. He can actually be trusted with your plans. We so often tie our security to our circumstances. If I can just have this or that, then I will be at peace. But in Christ, your joy doesn't have to be tied to your circumstances. And your security doesn't need to be so easily shaken because Christ is on the throne. Your worrying and vain attempts to control your life are just wasting your time. Stop trying to be king of your life. Jesus is on the throne and there's no room for two kings in his kingdom. We all live our lives believing that if I can just strike the king, I'll be king and all will be well. We believe that over and over and over again. But that is a lie. Jesus is a far better king for your life than you are. Try and hunt him down. He will prevail. Try and thwart his plans. It's going to open your eyes to show you how much better his are for you. So we spend our lives constantly fighting the will of God in exchange for our own. But God knows what's better for us. And no matter how hard we fight and we kick, he never loosens his grip. It's like a father who's holding a baby. We're seeing the baby wants to get down. Uh, he thinks it would be better for him if he got down. So he starts you know, kicking and throwing his arms. Eventually does that thing where he like, digs his shoulders and his head back into him. And just like screaming and yelling. 
But the father doesn't just give the baby what he wants. The father knows what's better for the baby and just holds tighter. We are wrapped in the arms of a loving Savior who no matter how hard we fight and kick and think we know what we want, He doesn't give us what we want because He knows what's better for us. He will prevail and thank goodness because He loves us that much. Sometimes it's easier to be God than to love God and want to control life rather than just love life. But just as Absalom tried to hunt David down, we try to hunt Jesus down over and over and over again. Jesus is on the throne and ruling no matter how hard you fight and kick. He's going to stay on the throne working on your behalf regardless. Stop looking for peace in your own eyes and believing that you can find it if you just have this or just have that. You won't find it. The Father has planned out all that you need. And all you need is to rest in His arms, knowing the depths of His love, that He is present, that He is working, and He is in control. No matter the muck, the chaos, the mess, your carefully crafted plans you have, He's destined the end and He won't be thwarted. This becomes a beacon of hope in our world our dark, sin-infested world where everybody's always looking for some sort of peace in their own eyes. Even when we can't see it, God's working on behalf of His children. He's either going to deliver us, He's going to equip us with strength. Stop thinking about yourself. That's the problem. We tend to believe that life is all about us. We believe like Absalom, we're seeking after the throne for ourselves and think We need to be in charge. But life is far more important than us. Life is not about you. It's not about me. Just as it's not about Absalom, it's not about David. And when life's about you and things don't go as you've planned, that's devastating. And that's the way our world lives and our culture. We're always looking for the next thing. But the beacon of hope is that with Jesus, our joy doesn't need to be tied to our circumstances. We don't need to live life so on the edge. Our prayer is that the Lord would help us to live in the peace that He is on the throne rather than believing that we could do a better job. And that's the lie that we believe in our heads day in and day out. We don't get what we want we tend to think we could do a better job. There's a hymn I'm actually going to read some of the verses for, and then you all are going to join me with me at the end, and that's how we'll close it out. But it beautifully uh, portrays what this passage is about. It says, Crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns, all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing of him who died for thee. All hail him as thy matchless king through all eternity. Crown him the Lord of love. Behold his hands inside. Rich wounds yet visible above in beauty glorified. No angel in the sky can fully bear that sight. But downward bends his burning eye at mysteries so bright. Crown him the son of God before the worlds began. 
and ye who tread where he hath trod, crown him the Son of Man, who every grief hath known that wrings the human breast, and takes and bears them for him own, that all in him may rest. Crown him the Lord of life, who triumphed over the grave, and rose victorious in the strife for those he came to save. His glories now we sing, who died and rose on high, who died eternal life to bring, and lives that death may die. Now you all read with me these last two. Crown him of lords the Lord, who over all death reign, who once on earth the incarnate word for ransomed sinners slain, now lives in realms of light where saints with angels sin, their songs before him day and night, their God, Redeemer, King. Should be one more. Crown him the Lord of heaven, enthroned in worlds above. Crown him the King to whom is given the wondrous name of love. Crown him with many crowns as thrones before him fall. Crown him, ye kings, with many crowns, for he is King of all. Y'all pray with me. Lord, thank you for being on the throne and for not giving us what we want. Thank you for keeping your covenant no matter how hard we try to fight it. Thank you for holding us securely in our arms. Thank you for your son Jesus who was that example of how much you love us. Even when we didn't want him, you still came through in the end. Help us to know the depths of your love. Help us to know that you are on the throne and that you are a far better king for our lives than we are for ourselves. Help us to stop being so consumed with what we think we want, but help us to align our wills with yours, knowing that it is far better than any plan we could muster up. Help us as we go forth from these doors that we would be that beacon of hope, proclaiming your truth, that you are God and that you are on the throne and that life is not about us and that a life lived for you is far greater than a life lived for ourselves. Jesus, name we pray. Amen.